Hello and welcome back to The Fencing Grounds. I'm Chris Van Slamrock and you're welcome to the table with me and Maestro Walter Green. Hello, Walter, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Chris. So uh, you are a classical fencer and an Olympic sports fencer and an author of like almost what? A hundred? Oh, I guess. Two hundred? <laughs> no. How, well, how many how many articles have you written? Come on now. Um, probably, when you count the variety, somewhere around fifty or sixty, uh, okay. and uh, about I think nine books. But it certainly has felt like a hundred or two hundred trying to get them done. So yeah, very well. I, I was a particular fan of the 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 Monitor Disagreement Historic Handbook you had because it was one of the first ones I felt that was written. Uh, to me, you know, being a military guy, my background, it was like, this is the handbook that was needed when it came out. I, uh, what year did that come out? 2013? That's correct. Uh, at that time, the Fencing Coaches Association uh, was interested in offering training in historical fencing uh, to our members. And we had a program. Uh, however, in spite of all the people who said, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. It uh, simply didn't develop, uh, which is unfortunate because I think it's extremely important for modern fencing masters to understand where they come from. Yeah, well, it's a thing of lineage. I, I believe we were speaking the other day on the telephone and you said that all fencing is a continuum. Uh, was that not, who, 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 where'd that quote come from, Walter? That's a good one. Came from me. Oh man, that's a good one. I'm gonna put. I'm, that's what we're gonna call. What's what we're gonna call this uh, this episode of the, the the darn fencing grounds. So that just to catch the the listener up out in listener land, the fencing grounds is just a quick conversation that I hold with my friends and sometimes interviews with other people <laughs> over a cup of coffee, and we talk about all things related to fencing, particularly historical and classical fencing, because that's what I'm into. Walter, what was your, you started fencing, oh man, I don't want to date you unless you want to be dated. I'm perfectly happy, 1966. A good long while. 54 so, years. So given that, what what's your, like, what's the top two books you would recommend me to read as a coach um, that would help me out? You know, say a new, say a new one, no, so maybe not me. So a new fencing, someone getting into, like I'm an instruct people and I have a passion for fencing, like classical or historic. Well, that's an excellent question because if you're going to teach, you've got a couple of things you have to be able to do. First, you have to be able to teach. And second, you have to know your uh, actual subject matter. And third, you have to resist the temptation to try to do and be all things for all men. Yeah. Uh, and because realistically, with any weapon, it takes most of a lifetime to master the weapon. So if I say that I can teach 27 different weapons, all I'm doing is lying to myself because I can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the... The real answer to your question is it's very difficult to answer because I can answer what I would do for, for instance, historical, what I would recommend. I can answer what I do for modern or classical. Oh, well, let's start with modern and classical and we'll work our way back in time. Ah, okay. Yeah, why not? I if mean, you, if, 
if you're Vincent's going to driven teach, by the research, right? In the reading. Well, yeah, yeah. So if you're going to do modern, there's a book uh, by a coach in England called This is Fencing, which is really an excellent book about not just technique, but the training, how to teach it, what you teach, the tactics and the technique. There are a number of others as a generation. We tend to go through generations of publishing and there's a generation behind this one that's got good books on Saber, good books on Ape and good books on Foil. Um, but there's very little in modern fencing. Modern fencing is just beginning to discover the challenge of being coach developers and uh -huh. how you how you do that. Um, I mean, we've been doing it for years, but we're beginning to understand that being a coach is far more than being able to stand up there with a plaster on, on a weapon in my hand, mask on, glove, and okay, I press on your blade, what do you do? Uh, it's, it's a whole thing, a whole realm beyond that in terms of sports psychology, in terms of physiology, in terms of knowing how to deal with people well, absolutely. I think there's also a similar cutting of teeth and growing pains in the historical fencing community. Um, I'm, I've been watching it where there's this radical push towards um, well, social justice, equality, the, um, just the movement of treating people well in your own sports hobby has highlighted the, the lack of accreditation and certification and training that we have and the people that we in the past have considered are fencing coaches for this hobby activity of historical fencing, you know? And because we're not under any real banner yet in the United States. Well, and it's interesting because when you go back and when you look at the development of fencing masters and you look at for instance the easiest to look at is the english masters of defense because all you have to do is be able to read old english with you know 1400 1500 in english with some degree of ability uh and thankfully there's the sloan manuscript which gives you the records the surviving records of the english masters so that you know in that point in time they adopted a guild model of teaching where you started out, you were a scholar, said, okay, I want to learn this. I'm willing to be the dummy that gets hit all the time. Then you, then you had free scholars who were allowed to actually help people and provosts who were really pretty close to master and then masters themselves. And they were focused on teaching. Here's how we teach the, the individual techniques. And that model has persisted to this day in virtually well, in most sports, actually, here's how you teach the sport. But the issues of um, recruiting in a diverse student body, which is important, brings a lot of value to you. Oh, yeah. the, the, the whole thing of teaching how to deal with different age groups, long-term athlete development, and those sorts of things have been completely absent. And um, I think it's it's very well. Don't good. you have a don't you have a veterans program? Uh, in your cell? We do. Um, we have um, a good veterans, uh, vet 70 now. No, he's still vet 60. 
men's apayist. We have a, a very good Vet 70 women's saber fencer who's fenced for the United States in Pan American Veterans Games uh, three times and come home with medals. That's how you uh, do it. Very well done. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> to go back to your original question, what I started with was silver. Oh, because because okay. in 1970, I bought, purely by luck, uh, a fencing library at a dollar a book. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is that is so this is the story that i want to you just stop stop the press as they say if you remember the old batman movie stop the press and tell me the story about that because that's that's like uh that's very fortuitous <laughs> well, and then an antiquarian bookseller was getting rid of these things and i bought about 25 texts um that's where I got my silver. It was originally an academic publication of Silver's manuscripts. Uh, I got a whole range of stuff in what we would now consider classical fencing, or what I would consider classical fencing. And uh, at that time, in 1970, the classical stuff was close. The upper end of the classical stuff, like Costello um, and um, Deladrier and what have you, were like modern textbooks because we hadn't, fencing was just starting the transition to being a truly modern athletic sport. Well, uh, I think, I think the, the, the book you're talking about is the, what is it? The, the, well, maybe the, the three Elizabethan manuals of fence. Like, yes, that's yeah, I, one I, of them. It's, it's back there somewhere. Um, the, is that the one you talk about with George Silver or is that, or you That's, had an academic one. I'm. A, we'll find that out later. Well, because uh, yep. I'm just curious. Because I, I collect, I'm a bibliophile a little bit. I like. It's a good books. thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> All right. So you. How many books did this collection at a dollar a pop? How many? It was about twenty-five. I think twenty-five books. 25. Yeah. And that got you started with silver. That got me started with silver, and there was nothing. You know, you say the word longsword, there was nothing out there that I could find on longsword except the stuff like, um, oh, who's the Brit? Edgerton Castle, where yes. the description the description is, this was crude and stupid. <laughs> Unwieldy, um, I think. It, it, maybe that was Hutton. But yeah, they... <laughs> and, and I was skeptical of that, but I didn't have any way to extend my knowledge. I wonder a little bit of, like, history for that event. Years prior to Egerton Castle and Hutton and the whole rifle crew of the London fencing, uh, the, the historical mm -hmm. fencers of that club, right, did a demonstration and like the prince was there and it all, all it was real. It was a smash hit. But years before that, Hutton and Castle were invited to France to do basically their version of that same show, like fencing throughout the, the ages, and. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to send a link to you, or I'll put it up on this thing as well. Uh, Chris, Chris Slee, I believe, did a translation, and I'm gonna go ahead and recommend that because it's what 1860s or something. It's it's quite interesting the, the grasp of knowledge that these fencing masters had in the Paris uh, fencing clubs that were historical fencers. So this stuff didn't just disappear. You know, people's passions for fencing 
That's why I like that phrase continuum that you used earlier. Uh oh, you are frozen. I bet you he'll join us again. <laughs> Come on back, Walter. What? I oh. live in, my cell is in rural Hanover County. And from <laughs> time to time, we have power spikes. Well, you know what? You you can only do what you can do. <laughs> I, yep. I appreciate you coming on and talking with me. Um, oh, shucks. I was just waxing poetical about fencing. So let's just, uh, <laughs> we can move right on. What are the two modern books that you that, that you could recommend to get you into fencing again? And then we'll work our way back because I know that was one of my goals. Again, then I well, wanted to talk about classical fencing. Um, I would say that this is fencing. Okay, this is fencing. I'm going, I'm going to murder the guy's name by Wojciechowski, who's a uh, Polish instructor. Yeah, the and, understanding fencing one? No, that's the other one. Oh. Um, <laughs> the other pole. Um, and the Wojciechowski is a modern foil, but it's a very good uh, look at, at everything that's happening. I would recommend the book you have for somebody who's going to really study what the business of fencing theory is. And then there's this wonderful little book called APE 2.5, which, um, or 2.0 which talks about tactics in a really engaging way. So those are those are pretty much what I would say. There's a Sabre book by Borisuk that's that's quite good. Uh, you look, you get those four books and you have a good f modern fencing library to start off. Nice, nice. So now, now the more interesting thing, if I'd want to know what you, what you would recommend to someone who wants to get into classical fencing and if we say classical now i need you to define that period for the breaking the fourth wall for the the listener here joining us with our morning coffee um because it's not universally accepted is it no there are about as many definitions of classical fencing as there are people who represent themselves as classical fencers what we what i and the folks who are working with me define classical fencing as is we're looking at the whole history of fencing, we can define epochs that are defined by a signature weapon and signature ways to use that weapon, different class ways that the weapon is used in society. And you can talk about a medieval period, a renaissance period, an enlightenment period. And when you get to about 1870, there's a very significant change. We use 1880 as a start point, but that's a fuzzy start point. Okay. Uh, and that change involves the essential disappearance of the sword as an effective military weapon. The sword as a weapon is gone for self-defense has gone away. And you go through the whole list of possible lists of swords and you end up with, this is the period of dueling and this is the period of sport. Mm. And that runs from about 1880 to 1939. And then the world changes and after that, you see the evolution of modern sports science, you see the sports factories, etc. So we view the classical period as a relatively short period that's very important active. as a transition point. Very active period. This is the period, this Edwardian Victorian period. Yes. With Hutton and Castle and, well, heck, even the Italians came over and said the only fencers worth a damn were was Castle. <laughs> 
I think they were, knowing the Italians, they were probably trying to rob his pocket at the same time. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say a darn thing about that. <laughs> I, I want to research that story some more. You know, it's in my head. <laughs> and when I get to that period, there's just a richness. Uh, there's um, uh, certainly at the back end of it, you have Galadriel's book. Uh, that was put out by the uh, U.S. Naval Institute. You've got Costello's book. You've got uh, Barbacetti. Barbacetti is available in reprint. Uh, and as you slide forward, um, now available in reprint, you've got Parisi. Pavisi, well, Pavisi was hasn't been reprinted, but it's if you know where to look, you can find a copy. So from about 1880 forward, there's this huge library and you have to make choices. Who, what's, what school am I going to follow? And by when I define what school I'm going to follow, then you can consider the number of sources. For instance, my favorite, absolute favorite, is Siebenhauer's Dutch method, which uh -huh. is dis which is distinguished by the only fencers that I know of who actually wore a heart on their uniform. They wore a tin heart, and you had to hit the tin heart in order to score a touch and it was i attack then you can attack and in saber you wore an apple or potato attached to your uniform and to score a touch you had to bruise either the <laughs> apple or the potato that but is fantastic sure. so i I'm want I, sure. this i want to read more about because if i can like start putting you know grapefruits or something on my students attach them somehow and be like all right so we're going to play a new game, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Rainer von Nort has uh, wrote a, did a translation of Stephen Haar's book, and it's currently available. He he has a fantastic. Uh, he's been doing a lot, a lot of good work. I'm going to have to see if I can get him to uh, come come talk fencing uh, nerddom with me here. The fencing histories. All right. So you you were talking about this great period of the Edwardian and Victorian period that you were saying uh, encapsulates this this period of interest, this classical fencing period. Classical fencing is historical fencing for anyone who was wondering out there. And why would someone say it's not, Walter? What would what would the counter argument be? Well, the counter argument is you expand the you you shove the timetable back and you teach rapier. Ah. classical fencing or you teach longsword is classical fencing you know you can you can push the time periods around and I make the point that classical and modern represent a flip of how fencing is done the classical period footwork is a very small portion of, of the game it's maybe 10 to 15 percent of the game blade work is everything today Footwork is everything, and as one of my colleagues says, if you had an electrified piece of spaghetti, which is a, a, a wire, <laughs> the, the type of wire that we use, you get an electrified piece of spaghetti, you could win as long as you have great footwork. Yeah, and that's a, that's that is a tough assessment, but you know, I, I like the analogy, electrified spaghetti. The listener who's joined us for our morning coffee discussion on the fencing grounds can't see is in the background. Um, Maestro Walter G. Green III is in his fencing cell. And behind him, he has a fencing dummy. And will you tell me a little bit about that? Because I thought it was pretty interesting and I'd like to promote the dude that makes them. Absolutely. 
Uh, this is a, a wooden fencing dummy. It has adjustable legs or an adjustable front leg. So if you're an Ape fencer, you can work against the front leg has a chest, has an adjustable arm that you can move, fit with different weapons, move it to different positions, or even change left to right with both the leg and the arm. It's made by a guy named Michael Mergens, who is a, one of the major armorers in our business, the people who uh, repair weapons, evaluate weapons in competitions, those sorts of things. Michael uh, does really good work. You have to have two people to put it together, though. Uh, <laughs> well, you the, know, well, it, it, it's definitely not like an IKEA thing. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the importance of this, um, you can call it a fencing dummy. An older term is a spadassine, which is essentially a, a, a term that was used for assassins, but was used for fencing dummies. Is um, that because you were just killing it all the time, over and over again, or? No, I think it's because you had to be careful because it would put its blade right in your eye if you don't control the blade and wear a mask. Yeah, that's no, no, that's, uh, <laughs> well, you know, when things are dangerous. So, and when were these yep. super popular? Who, who actually invented the original version of this? Because I've seen some pretty old versions. Yeah, there are versions that go back into the Enlightenment, probably somewhere as early as early to mid 1700s. Nice. It seems like is so. Uh, if you go back further, you got people hitting stakes into the ground, you know, and yeah. you know, tapping statues and things. We we see it yeah. in our fencing manuals from the earlier periods. So classical fencing. Wow, classical fencing is historical fencing. All right, I'm in. You 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 sold me. So. But it's about... also but it's also excellent for modern because oh. things old things don't die. They go away and they're rediscovered. And for instance, a decade ago nobody used an incortata. Now an incortata is a standard modern technique. It was a standard technique in the eighteen eighties. It just went away and came back. <laughs> um, there are a whole range of things like that. But more than that, classical fencing teaches discipline with the blade. Small, tight movements, fast movements. People today make big movements, which cost them speed and create opportunities for their opponents. So I think for a club, having a modern program is great. Have a classical program. It works well for your older fencers because they're more interested in learning about what they're doing and they're more interested in perfecting skill, whereas younger fencers are more interested in earning medals. Well, and, and going fast and being athletic and feeling the yep. adrenaline. Kurt Dunham, he, he might be one of the oldest members of our guild that actively fences hard with a long sword, with the, the fader swords, you know, these put out swords. Yeah, I, I see the veteran fencing thing is a program that I want to start promoting a little bit more um, in the guild because quite frankly, you know, we're at that point in the historical community, at least within the Meyer Factor Guild. We've got a lot, we've got a lot of people building curricula now. Um, and that's like the next step is if you could, could be more professionals to actually follow in perfect and refine your personal teaching methodology, right? Isn't that the whole job? Well, I think that's a, a, an obvious thing. Um, the long-term athletic development people have 
in my opinion, gotten it wrong because they figure that a fencer, you you start them as early as you can. They do nothing but fencing. They burn out after college and they don't come back. Um, and that's a bad model for the sport. It's a bad model for people. So if you have a veterans program, you keep people engaged longer, which for, from a business standpoint is revenue. Oh, yeah. Uh, but from a human standpoint is you have elder statesmen in your club. For instance, my uh, Vet 70 Women's Saber Fencer is the person people go to for advice as a fencer. Because he's been there. <laughs> she's, she's been there. She's been there, rather. Yeah. Apologies. And she started at age 60. Oh, wow. So, so um, we talk about giving older people, uh, I'm 73, so I can talk about older people. Oh, of course, giving, of course. <laughs> giving older people good sport that they can do, that they can adjust what they do to the level of physical ability that they have. I mean, we have wheelchair fencers. I have a wheelchair fencer. I'm starting this weekend to teach a blind fencer. Uh, so that, that, that right there is exciting. That is, that is fantastic. Um, I've had people with invisible disabilities and I've had some like minor, minor disabilities as far as physical limitations, but never something so pronounced as, uh, the lack of vision <laughs> yeah and it's in fencing certainly classical and modern fencing um, is retains enough of the idea of sentiment to fair that a blind person can fight by sentiment to fair and the Italians for instance have national championship level blind competition just craziness who was the fencing master that lauded his sight and kind of was still teaching? I was reading a story about that. Not oh, too long yeah. Ago. Yeah, that's Jean-Louis. Jean-Louis. I believe. Okay. I believe. Well, you know, and if we're wrong, we're wrong, and that's okay. That's the other thing about this podcast, Walter, is we just, you talk about the stuff you know and have a good time. And if you're not having a good time, you're, you're probably not talking about stuff you know about. <laughs> well, there's some element of that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your first exposure to classical fencing was silver, and that was almost right away with your regular fencing experience. Yes. So that's so you've been so you've appreciated the historical as your journey progressed from the mid '60s. That's fantastic. And I think I'm uniquely—I won't say I'm uniquely blessed, but I think I'm definitely blessed by that um, on a practical level and a personal level, because I feel a connection going back. I can trace a lineage back into the 1500s, but I, I feel a connection because these were hardy men and women standing up with a sword in hand to teach fencing, what I do. Yeah, so no, I, I, I love it. I've been known to say, it's like, you, you heard me say it the other day on the telephone and, and I say, I repeat things because they're true, but sometimes you put a sword in someone's hand and they just, they get that spark. You know, and yes. it's their thing. And to facilitate that sort of joy and love, I mean, that's that's why I like teaching fencing. That's why I like being involved with fencing. That's why I talk about fencing. It is a source of, I don't want to say ecstasy, but it, it gives people joy and happiness and it increases their quality of life. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And the, and the other part is that, you know, I can, tr I can trace my lineage through the, the Italian side of things. Um, but there's also, when you, I've done a fair amount of research on the English Masters of Defense. And there on a page is the record of 1560s Ooh. of Walter Green. Oh, that's a familiar name to me, actually. So, Provost, the London Masters of Defense. 1560 is a good year, too. That's when uh, Joachim Meyer, my master, moved to Strasbourg and married his, nope. uh, his presumably lovely wife, Apollonia. <laughs> so there's almost certainly no actual physical lineage, ancestral lineage, but he's in my fencing lineage. I claim him. No, you know what? I would claim it if there was a, if there was a Christoffel, you know, von Schlambrock, <laughs> any anywhere involved um, with any style of fencing, I'd be like, okay, I, I'm gonna He's find fine. a way. I'm gonna find a way to, to go ahead and connect to that. <laughs> yep. So so before I, I I forget and we get too off track, having so much fun, you're doing this thing that I think is. Uh, worthy of further discussion, possibly even another episode, the, the Classical Academy of Arms. I, I'd like you to tell me, and tell, tell really, you'll just go ahead and break the fourth wall. Tell it to me, but realize that we got, you know, someone sitting at the table joining us with this coffee. Right. The um, Classical Academy of Arms was founded in 2006 to preserve classical fencing technique and to teach it uh, to people who want to go out and teach it in their own clubs. And we offer a four-level training program, classical fencing demonstrator, instructor, provost, and master. Um, and that educational program is accredited by the National Committee for the Accreditation of Coaching Education. NCACE accredits university graduate and undergraduate coach development programs. So wow. we're, so we are teaching, um, at a university level. That's fantastic. Uh, That's fantastic. Are you using the same model, um, with this Academy of Arms as all your research into the, um, English master's defense? Uh, not really. It's, okay. um, it's based on, of course, multiple levels have been around in our sport for 500 years, uh, a Gittle model, etc. cetera. Um, ours is driven strictly by competencies, a defined list of competencies, what somebody has to know to be able to do this and do it well. Uh, it's uh, based on not just how do I teach fencing, but also how do I do all of the other things that fall into coach development? And uh, as a result, each of these blocks is a pretty substantial amount of work. About a year to do the first two levels, demonstrator a year, uh, instructor a year. And then the last two levels are about two years each. And in that people have to teach it a set number of of lessons as a minimum. Most people are gonna to have to teach much more than the set minimum level. We have an online educational program. 
there are requirements the individual develop portfolio take uh, written exam oral exam practical exam some other side i'm sure uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i'm sure so is there what are you doing because i know as a coach you have to keep up with your your certification it just doesn't it's not a lifetime achievement award now is it what do you do to maintain uh, okay so for us for the regular fencing community you become a fencing master you're a fencing master for life and i don't care how obsolete you are and how cantankerous and how useless and how much you physically beat your students you're a fencing master um that yeah. that's an yeah. unfair characterization i should say yes but but there's a tendency to get the diploma and then stay where you were we require continuing education on a regular basis annually we require each year that each person who's involved in our program complete a self assessment of what they're doing we have a variety of other continuing education available and i don't see how you could day to day can be a coach in anything if you aren't doing continuing education yeah yeah our no, field it's, it's required our field changes so rapidly you wouldn't think that 40 years 50 years of time period would change but i find three or four new translations each year which means i have to go find copies of the original so i can check to make sure the translation is true there's more knowledge find new videos all those sorts of things well this is that technology age yeah no i mean it's zooming around yep so what i would like to do because i never want to put anybody out and i think we've been chatting for a while is i'd like to i'd like to have you come back walter sometime one of these days after you've been teaching some lessons um so come have another have another cup of coffee with me i i'd like to talk about a little more about maybe the very beginning that beginning period um with the rules that were with the olympics i want to talk about the olympics and the games and, and sure. like the, that that period of fencing is very very interesting um and if people don't know about it you know they should absolutely absolutely i will be glad to come back we're going to talk a little bit more about your uh, your book because it, that that one i can go ahead and the the monitor the scream historique handbook by walter green i think it's on lulu plug 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 right. i think that that would be good for most interested in actually presenting the art in a logical um organized fashion and if this is this is like your gateway drug it's a blue covered book and it's going to give you kind of an outline that you can put on top of whatever system you're using and hopefully you're using something but if you're not using nothing it's going to give you a little bit of a uh, guidance there too so uh I'm Chris Van Slambrock and I've been with Maestro Walter Green on the fencing grounds and today was Saturday January 23rd um thank you Walter for joining us and I'd like to see you again my pleasure My pleasure indeed. All right, you take care.